Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. These Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Hunter Muscato, Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nucky's spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bello. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff, and you still have no talent. It's Sandos in the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Tuesday, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher. Another edition of Sandos in the sidekick as we get you set as the home stretch of Southern Conference basketball seasons. Coming to a close, final two games for the women on the road. Western Carolina, UNCG for the men. One home game, Senior Day versus Western Carolina. We're going to hear from both head coaches today. Steve Forbes, Brittany Zell. Also talk top 25, not just mid-major, but regular top 25. Yeah, this is a jam-packed basketball show. I mean, this is basically in the doldrum of the men not having a game for the entire week. And also the doldrum of... Saturday to Thursday, we're kind of smack dab in the middle for the women of them being a little bit of a respite as well, the weekly respite that they get. We got to really bring it with basketball now. I mean, this is pretty much it. We're not going to be able to talk a whole lot of basketball after these next, well, let's say the next month uh, or the next six weeks because that implies that the men or women are winning a championship, and we're always on board with that. But after that, it's going to be really a big, empty chasm for basketball. So we are throwing as much on the board as we can. And plus, in the mid-major top 25, there were a lot of changes, and there are some title races that have been decided, others that are really going to come down to the wire. Uh, 19 days until Selection Sunday, nice. just in case you're checking. That's when the NCAA tournament will announce theirs. That's when the NIT will announce theirs. And then some CIT, CBI teams will be announced uh, because they know they won't be in contention for those two tournaments ahead of time. Uh, and certainly there'll be teams kind of holding their breath, hoping they get in one of the others. Right. Uh, of course, NCAA, as far as the conference, unless you're Wofford, you pretty much know if you're in that one or not. If you're Furman, ETSU, UNCG, you know, the NIT is a possibility. We talked to head coach Steve Forbes about that last night, and he said, you know, doing the Absolutely, research. Absolutely, he would accept a bit is what he said to one of oh, the fans. Oh, yeah. Um, problem is they only had three at-larges last year because mm. there's the rule of if you win your regular season championship, don't go to the NCAA then you get the automatic in the NIT, and that eats up a lot of spots depending on the year. You know, some years it's six or seven. Some years it's as high as 12. Yeah. So it just depends on how it goes. And so it's not as automatic as people think. Right. Like, oh, they just get an at-large NIT because you don't know how the conference tournaments shake out to begin with. So if ETSU doesn't win uh, the Southern Conference Championship, then you then become a fan of every team that won the regular season championship to then go to the NCAA tournament to free up a spot in the NIT. Makes sense. So, all right, let's uh, start with head coach Steve Forbes from last night. Senior day. James will be the only senior. And then Brian Forbes uh, is our GA, and it's his uh, last game too, and he's graduating. And so we're going to lose those two guys who have been great guys to have in our program. You know, James has had the most unbelievable attitude of any player I've ever coached that doesn't get a play, and especially for a senior, that's really hard. And, 
you know, the plan was to play him. You know, he was playing early, and I, I didn't really – I wasn't planning on Lucas getting eligible, and then he did. And so then it comes down to competition and practice, and, you know, Lucas won that battle. But James has kept an unbelievable attitude. He's been very supportive in practice of our players. He says the right things. And a lot of people – I don't know how many people really know James, but he's got – a tremendous uh, outlook on life, and he's going to be a tremendous success in life. And he's got a great demeanor. I've never seen him angry, um, and uh, I, I really, I'm going to wish him the best. I know he's going to be a success, and I'm going to be there for him, you know, forever. But it'll be, uh, you know, it'll be sad for him for it'll be his last home game. And I'm hoping that, you know, we can get him in the NCAA tournament for his senior year. I think, and you've been around plenty of teams in your time, 16 years broadcasting here, and so you, I think we'll know exactly what I'm talking about. You just develop a certain rapport, and you are kind of attracted to certain bucks one year or another, um, just based on personality, bubbliness, easy to talk to, whatever it is, you know, and, and being around a team as much as you have, certainly that is the case for a broadcaster as well, and I've been around the team very limited amounts this year, but James Harrison is a guy that just has an energy about him that regardless of how things are going in his playing career, outside of basketball, in his personal life, he always is going to be that positive driving force. Now, he stood out last year as a guy as well that was someone that really was that same way. It's difficult this year to pick a favor because there are just so many good individuals in terms of people and positivity that they bring on the team. But James Harrison is definitely at the top of the list for me. You heard Coach Forbes reflect that same opinion and sentiment. He obviously hasn't had things go his way on the court this year. And also I'll point out that for one of my long-term bold predictions, the Lucas Goussaint getting eligible kind of got in the way of James Harrison perhaps giving more on the court and getting to that bold prediction that I did make. So I'm, of course, starting to make excuses for my bold prediction already. But aside from that, uh, James Harrison, I think, on the offensive end, exceptional player. Defensive end is maybe where he struggled just a bit. But when he's been out there this year, you've seen some things that you liked. He's contributed a lot behind the scenes and someone certainly that the Bucks will miss. Yeah, and I, I think the the things that Coach said about how he's handled things, again, yeah. I, I get to travel with the team. Yep. You know, uh, James is a singer. I don't know if you know that, but he's, okay. uh, he's always singing in the back and uh, having a good time. I think the the guys generally uh, like James. I know that uh, Kanaiobi Rapu, who had transferred out, had mentioned and said a nice tweet to, to James that he wished he could come back and celebrate that day with him because, you know, they, they got to hang out over the last year or two as well. So uh, James very well liked to, amongst the team, and I thought Coach was also very blunt about why James hasn't played. And yeah. That, and the fact that, you know, it came down, he was playing. Goussaint, they didn't think he was going to be eligible. became eligible. Then it became a competition. Goussaint is when that competition out and practice and other things. And Tough so, part as a coach because you like both guys, but you oh, have to do yeah. best for the team. Yeah, exactly right. And I think, I think again, he was pretty honest and blunt about, you know, that he hates that for James, especially his senior year, and that he had kind of waited, you know, last season to get an opportunity to, to play if his time came. And, you know, just just not going to be. But uh, the fact that he's had a good attitude and done everything, and you know, Coach, um, uh, you know, has said he's probably going to start James and give him some time and and see what it goes. And you know, James could help himself. He gets off to a pretty quick start. You know, in the first three four minutes, you know, you could make an excuse of hey, if things aren't going well in the post, you could put him back in there because he's seen some game action early. So, uh, hope hope James does get a chance to get in there and get a couple of buckets on senior days. You do for for all seniors, but it is very unique because the last couple of years, you know, it's been five seniors, seven seniors, one. 
I mean, just, you know, something's a little different. We've had at least five every year Coach Ford has been here except for this year, and it's one. It's James Harrison. I think it's a tremendously special thing for someone to put their entire lives into a sport and then literally be center stage by themselves. We saw it with Riley Milhorn in volleyball last year. She was the only senior. And to have that moment for you, to always be able to, and especially in front of a crowd like ETSU is going to have, on Saturday, you know, Coach Forbes has talked about 5,500 is the number that he wants because that would put ETSU over the Southern Conference average, or sorry, the uh, average attendance being at 5,000 for Southern Conference home games. And that's obviously a very landmark number. And I don't doubt what you say. I mean, James Harrison, if he gets it, he's a tremendously capable player. So I don't think that there's any question that he's going to be ready to play. I don't think there's any question that he's going to put his best foot forward because he can make an impact on the court, and I think it's awesome for the person that James is. There isn't a more deserving person in ETSU basketball to be able to have that stage in that moment for himself on senior day. Uh, Coach previewed Western Carolina just a bit. We'll do that more in the week, but here's Coach's comments on the Coach's show last night. They do. You know, Dotson's uh, one of the premier big kids in, in the league that uh, – you know, um, can really uh, score inside and with his back to the basket. They had a freshman on their team that had 27 against us the first time, and I'm, I'm escape. His name is escaping me, but he's a really nice player out of Ohio, and I can't think of his name. And uh, we'll have to show him better attention this time. You know, the Halverson kid from uh, the Kingsport area, I believe he he's the one that made the half court shot to to uh, put the game in overtime against uh, Greensboro. So. We'll definitely have our full attention. Uh, it's the last game. You want to go out on a good note. Um, last couple of years, that hasn't happened. It's not like Western Carolina doesn't present some challenges. We saw the challenges that they presented against UNCG just last week, and they made it difficult on some teams despite having a lack of success overall in the standings. Well, I mean, even if you go back to the first game this year, uh, if Patrick Good doesn't throw 35 on the board and break a school record with 11 threes, I wonder how the game would have shaped up. and. It was about midway through the first half, ETSU really kind of got going, and it was because Patrick Good, uh, you know, had five, six threes in the first half, came back in the second half and had another five threes or whatever it was and finished 12 for 18, 11 of 17 from three, and then lost in the shuffle was Milad Narmus, uh, went mano a mano against uh, the big fella Dotson. And I know Carlos Dotson was coming off an injury, but he still played 29 minutes with six of 12 from the floor, 15 points, 11 rebounds. Milad Narmus. 21 points, 12 boards, bested them a lot when they were on the floor, 9 of 13 shooting. And so uh, ETSU, again, not good from the free throw line in that game. But uh, it was the Patrick Good, Milad Narmas show. They combined for 46 points between them. And then Jerome Rodriguez also uh, double digits. He had 14 points as well. So, you know, if if Good doesn't go bonkers, I know the, the score was 91-69, but, you know, you could easily say, all right, what if, Pat missed two or three of those threes. All of a sudden, there's, there's nine points off the board, and you know it's a it's close to a single digit game as opposed to what it finished up. And Patrick Good has been struggling as of late, uh, not because of anything other than than the hip injury. And we'll see how that continues to go. But I, you know, obviously, it's pretty fair to say he's probably not going to knock eleven of them down this game. So ETSU is going to have to try to control Dotson on the inside, and you know, stop uh, some of the shooters like Stager and and. Um, Thomas and uh, Halverson and some of those guys from the outside, it really can fill it up. 
had a chance to talk with Pat the other day. He's going to come back on before the Southern Conference Tournament, so look forward to that next week. You look at Western Carolina in conference play, and granted, this was a long time ago against Furman. This was that weird December 1st conference game, but the double overtime loss. Then they had at number 23, Iowa, just an 18-point loss. Uh, Chattanooga was 11. Mercer was 4 on the road. Uh, UNCG at home, 9. ETSU, obviously, you mentioned with Patrick Good being what he was that day. That was difficult for them, but uh, Sanford on the road, 11. Evan. They're not tremendously close games, aside from the Furman double overtime game, the UNCG three-point loss in overtime, and then VMI, a five-point loss just this past Saturday at home, which I'm sure they would have liked to do better in. You know, when you lose to VMI at home, that's going to be a game that certainly stands out in the negative. VMI, that uh, was their first away win in league play and just their second away win all year. But regardless of that, it seems like on any given night they can be a problem. This is Coach Forbes talking about finishing out the year. My second year, we lost at Greensboro uh, on the last game, and then last year we lost here to Furman. So we'd like to go uh, out on a great note on senior day and have a great crowd, and we're very close to averaging over 5,000 fans a game for all of our SoCon home games. And if we get about, I'm not very good at math, but if we get close to 5,500, then we'll be over 5,000 for the you know for the conference season, which is a very very impressive. And you know. I give credit to uh, uh, Greensboro yesterday. They had over 6,000 people in there, and it was loud in there. And we played in front of a great crowd at Furman. played in front of a great crowd at, at Wofford. And you know, Mercer always draws well. So our league's on an uptick, too, as far as attendance. I'll just address the elephant in the room. Were there 6,000 people there? Is Green, Greensboro Coliseum that big? Because it looked the, really The empty. lower bowl and uh, the lower bowl is around 9,000. Okay. So how many does that place hold in general? Is it like oh gosh, it's like 18? seventeen, eighteen. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. Uh, so the upper deck, they they had the black cloth down, so sure. they do a good job of hiding the rest of the upper deck. Um, but it's about eighteen thousand uh, that that it holds, and they had basically there's some sweet areas above the low, and then they had maybe three rows of the upper deck. So there were some people in the upper deck, some people in the suite level. It, it might just be one of those things where, like, when you're in a dome and you get 4,500 and you're going, ah, I just don't think there's 4,500 right. there because it's just so right. so massive. I, it it didn't feel like 6,000, but I don't obviously don't do enough games there. In the last two or three years, they've had a lot of give. Now, they didn't do it this time. They didn't do the free giveaways. They didn't do a bunch of things. They did it for the Western Carolina game. So they were banking on the fact that ETSU would draw, and they did. And it was good. But the other time, I didn't feel like it was as packed as the last couple of years where they had free. But, again, there were some free things. They had well, one year, I think it was a, a, a dollar, getting a door dollar hot dog day. I mean, they did a few things mm. to, to help promote, which, you know, at the time they're still trying to build a brand. Now their brand is building. They are being able to get people uh, in there. Their student section was great, I thought. And, and generally we go there and it's not. So I think maybe they're starting to turn the corner, which is great for the league that they're starting to turn the corner. Wofford in their new building clearly shows up. The, the athletes at Furman do a great job of, of creating a hostile environment. They're Mercer's right there, crowd. too. Oh, I mean, they goodness. are in your face. There's a picture from SoCon John, Fletcher McGee. There's a guy like two feet uh, from his face, courtside. Nathan Hoover took two out diving for a ball. Wow. Like two people got clipped, a wow. guy and a girl, and ended up landing on them, uh, which caused a little bit of concern. I not, love not, that not, atmosphere person. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, and you know, Hoover and those guys didn't say anything about it. I think the, the – people in the front row were a little like taken aback that you know ball came at him and you know I mean, and you're right there and, you're, you and you're stuck in no man's land right <laughs> yeah. what do you do so uh i don't know it's tough to to say you know it was one of the better crowds i've seen considering they didn't have free i'll, I'll give okay. them that okay but i don't 
it's so tough and there's so many empty seats and it's so big and I, I can't even spacious because you know that arena hosts hockey it hosts indoor football mm. you know so the end zones are a ways back sure uh, if you will and so it's very hard to to get people in there make it feel good so there was a lot of seats that were not filled but considering they opened some of the upper levels some other things uh, i mean i don't want to flat out call them a liar but uh, you know <laughs> did, did, did they fudge a little Pump it up sure. just a little bit yeah. you know uh, and they touted it as it was the largest single game crowd and you know and maybe that's what they were going for so um I, I'm, I'm okay with it. it it's not it's not the most egregious thing if okay. they would have gave it a sell Furman sellout was a little more egregious to me okay yeah, Furman didn't look like no, and 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 in fairness, they held a bunch of seats for students, mm. and that was their student section that mm. didn't fill up. Now it did for Wofford, uh, but that's their biggest rival, and and they really got. And there was other apparently other events on campus uh, that were sporting events, lacrosse, rugby, some other things going at the same time. I would just I, I can't imagine that that game would have that many students not there. But again, for Wofford, they they filled those seats up so. Uh, hey, well, attendance is always sort of that floating number of who's doing what. And you never know if Greensboro wanted to just say, hey, look, let's uh, – how what do we have? Well, we had 56. Is that the most? No, nah, let's go ahead and say 6,000, sure. and now we have the thing. So, you know, and no, and who's going to hold them accountable for that? So Nobody. they said that it was the most attended men's basketball game ever for them? No, I think it was just the, the most just attended Southern Conference game so, this year. In the SOCON, year, okay. that was the highest attended SOCON game period. Normally gotcha. that's, something, okay. that's something ETSU has held for several years. Okay. ETSU, and just to bring the point in attendance out a bit more, average attendance this year for the Bucks at home, 4,351. To UNCG's credit, not doing a giveaway or discounted concessions or cheaper tickets, it says they're averaging just over 2,700 this year. So if they're more than doubling their average home crowd, and even if they just fudge a little bit on the numbers, because when I was looking at it, I was like, that looks about half of 6,000 without having ever been to the Greensboro Coliseum, which is where, obviously, my facts fall short. But 2784 for Greensboro. Second in the league in attendance is Chattanooga, despite the fact that they've been bad for a couple of years now, 3125. So ETSU by... 1,200 fans overall this year in home games. 4,351 is what they're averaging. That's over 1,200 more fans in Chattanooga. Then you've got Greensboro, then Mercer, then Wofford, and those all trail by a significant amount. Overall this year, regardless of home, away, or neutral, the Bucks have played in front of 121,119 fans, right about 4,000 per game. So, Coach Forbes addressed it a bit that attendance is on the upswing in the Southern Conference, and ETSU is certainly leading by a bullet in that category. Well, and they have and they will. Yeah. It's just it's, it's the Johnson standard. City, yeah. It's the standard. It really is. And and some of it, you know, Wofford, smart to build to what they need, you know, so they're never going to catch ETSU. Furman's building is never going to catch ETSU. They've only opened that upper deck twice. Mm. Uh, and it was ETSU and Wofford this year. They generally don't even open it up, period, for every other game. So uh, Greensboro, obviously, if if they get a couple more thousand in there, then ETSU can't catch it. Well, actually, if they only get about 600 more in there, I don't think – I think 6,500 is Freedom Hall. So in, in theory, Greensboro would be only one because I think Hawkins Arena is only 5,000. You know, there's not that many arenas that can catch it. Now the Roundhouse is 12. Yes. So the Roundhouse and Greensboro are the two bigger coliseums uh, – and they are city-owned 
buildings, so that's why they're a little bigger and they do concerts and everything else in and it. And they are numbers two and three in attendance. Right, and so that makes sense. And, you know, and it, it would make sense that, you know, some of your top teams besides – and I know Chattanooga's a little down, but they still draw. They still have yeah. basketball. still rich in tradition with NCAA tournaments and Sweet 16 and all that stuff. Furman, great year, only 1,900. Yeah, and that, that's just – it took a while, I think, for people to get on the train. It really, really did. And now the student section's always there, but the, the community mm. took them a little while to show up. And uh, they do a great job of shooting that side, though. You know, I wish right. more schools – like Citadel, they put the visiting fans in the wooden bleachers, and then they shoot to the wooden bleachers. So mm. there's 1,500 people in the stands, but they shoot the wrong side You'd never of be able to So know, it looks yeah. like th- – it really looks like the 13 people that came to the game. I, and it's, it's an awful look. It's – Sort of the argument when we used to try to shoot soccer at Summer Sailor Stadium, we would actually go there, but then sun some other things. But we would shoot back towards the stands from the berm as opposed to shooting where you broadcast right. from now so that we could show the stands in a full stands, you know, 1,000, 1,500 people in the stands right. as opposed to two people on a blanket on a berm, and you're going, what in the <laughs> heck are we doing? Right. So there's a lot of that. So, that, you know, I think some schools could help themselves. Uh, Sanford has no shot. Nobody cares. I mean, they, they just don't. Mm. Um uh, Citadel's football baseball school, they, they show up, but they don't show that they show up. VMI only when the Kedets are allowed on Saturday to come to the game is the only time. Thursday it's a ghost town, and on Saturday they got 3,000 extra people. Only so, team that's under 1,000 this year in terms of average attendance, 854. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, when you haven't had many winning seasons and they haven't been in the tournament, I think, since the 70s, right. I think that'll do it as well. So. You brought up the Elite Eight run on the show last I, week. I mean, yeah. And I think you should. I think people forget. <laughs> yes. I think you need to do it. There was – Two elite, uh, elite eight runs in the Southern Conference. Uh, now, again, you could go way back to the 30s and 40s and try to figure that out. Of course, NCAA tournament back then, the NIT was the big one. But, right. but you're looking at Davidson, the elite eight run with Curry, and you're looking at VMI. And I think that's the only two elite eight runs. There's been multiple um, Sweet 16 runs, but that's the only uh, two elite eights that uh, I think I can come up with. I may have to look that up one day. That may be fun. Long story short on the attendance – Fans, props to you again because you've shown up for yet another year. And hopefully, as Coach Forbes said, that there's a 5,000, 5,500 number this Saturday to get to that 5,000 number in Southern Conference play for home games. Because as you can tell by just looking at those attendance numbers, that is quite the amount specifically for this league. Yeah, and um, and in Asheville, I think that bodes well for Asheville. Yes, And Coach Forbes brought an uptick. You know, Mercer does travel well. Mm -hmm. Furman and Wofford, the further they get in the tournament, they travel. Western Carolina is the best attendance they have all year because almost all their graduates live in Asheville. Hmm. It is crazy how many people will show up for the Western Carolina tournament game that won't make it to a regular season game all year, uh, but they'll make it to that. So I think the Southern Conference, I think, has a chance to maybe set an attendance record. I could be wrong, but I think they got a chance to set maybe Full prediction for set for yeah. Oh, it could be. Oh, that's right. a good one there. Bumps. All right, let's talk. What do we got? Brittany Zell right after this, yes. right? The Santa's sidekick on the bucket here. Sports Network. It's funny how things can multiply, like cold weather. One minute, a few snowflakes fall. The next, you need a snowblower just to find your feet. Or tardiness. Run two minutes late in the morning, and you're a half hour late to work. Come on. But good things come from multiplying, too, like the new Multiplier Instant Games, which give you a chance to multiply your winnings. So go ahead. Enjoy the good kind of multiplying today with the new Multiplier Instant Games, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Wow, am I happy about my new Wow Rate e-checking account at Citizens Bank. I got a huge rate on my deposit and great account features. With that sort of a deal, I'm saving for much-needed bucks tickets to cheer on my team. 
Learn more about Wow Rate eChecking accounts at CitizensBank24.com. Wow Rate eChecking accounts at CitizensBank24.com. Go Bucks! Bank your own way. Citizens Bank member FDIC. Looking to promote your business but don't know the best avenue? Stand out from the crowd and go big with billboards. We're Allison Outdoor, and we're the new guys in town. Whether it's digital or traditional billboards, our locations span the Tri-Cities. If you're looking for high exposure for a day, a year, or anything in between, we have rates and packages for you. Call Nick Stickley for pricing at 423-360-4809 or allisonoutdoor.com. And go Bucks! Food City is excited for another thrilling basketball season with the ETSU Buccaneers. Even when slicing up the finest cuts of beef, selecting the freshest produce, or preparing the sweetest baked goods, we live and breathe navy and gold. So go get them, Bucks. On your quest for a Southern Conference championship and beyond, Food City is with you every step of the way. Food City, official supermarket of ETSU Athletics. Johnson City Hyundai is proud to support East Tennessee State Athletics. Excellence in education, teamwork and trust, success and understanding. They are the core values that drive the ETSU Athletics program to excellence. ETSU Athletics and Johnson City Honda, a winning combination. The Johnson City Way. Today and every day, Johnson City Honda is committed to bringing the Tri-Cities a truly unique way to buy a new Honda or a certified pre-owned Honda. It's a way of business we like to call the Johnson City Way. When you come to Johnson City Honda, you can have the confidence in knowing you're getting a great deal along with outstanding customer service that will last long after the sale. We invite you to come by today and shop our outstanding selection of vehicles and experience a different way, an easy way, our way, the Johnson City way. Johnson City Honda, proud to support the ETSU Athletics Program. Today and every day, the Johnson City way. Johnson City Honda, Johnson City. Where's the dancing Trey Adams when you need him on the little I haven't had him on the show in about... Yeah, uh, I've kicked him off the show. I'm tired of him. Jay Santos, Mike Gallagher, Santos and Sidekick, Steve Forbes was up. Now we're going to talk to Brittany Zell. We talked to her yesterday uh, off recruiting some other things, but we didn't get a chance to talk to her. And again, Mike, this is the stretch run. I'm going to talk to her about not just senior day. We're going to talk to her about the, the season, what could be. Of course, I've got her winning the whole thing again. I'm sure she'll be happy to hear about that. I went to an I with the are. team, which is great. Yeah, all that stuff. So uh, it, it'll be entertaining. But uh, I think a lot going for Brittany Zell. I think, you know, again, the back half of the season, I know they got three losses. They're all nip and tuck. I think they get to Asheville as much as ETSU has struggled on the road, and maybe they can turn around these next two games and get some momentum, but they've always played well in Asheville. I mean, she's been in the championship game a couple times in her tenure already, uh, so I, I don't think it's out of the – plus, it's not a very good women's league. Not it's not it's a not. very good women's league. It's not a – they don't have a dominant right. team or two. It's more balanced. The parity there uh, is there. I probably misspoke, but the parity yes. for the women's league is unbelievable because nobody's running away with anything. Uh, everything seems to be nip and tuck, last possession or two. So that should make 
for a fun Southern Conference tournament, too. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be wide open, and, yeah, you don't want to say that it, the league is down necessarily. It's just more evenly distributed than when Mercer won, like, a gajillion games in a row last year. But I realize this is the first time that we've had Brittany Zell on the show in terms of a full segment. Now, we haven't had Steve Forbes on the show for a full segment either. Uh, but we have used sound from Coach Zell after some wins. Uh, have not had her on the coach's show because she's just so busy in season. It's difficult to get some extended time with her. So wanted to make sure to use this from the coach's show last night in order to have something where fans can hear more in-depth conversation because you get bites here, you get bites there, but 15 or so minutes on really all things ETSU women's basketball was needed. Brittany Zell, Mike. Coach, let's talk about what was a very special day for you know four ladies senior day always an emotional time talk about those four ladies and what they've brought to the program in their time here at ETSU yeah it's always a, a bittersweet day you know you never you never want to have to say goodbye to some kids that have meant a lot to you in the program but um, Raven Dean and uh, Sedasia Tips came in uh, in year two uh, of my tenure here and really kind of bought into some stuff that really wasn't quite established the way we wanted it and helped us build and um, they've been uh, they've been pretty solid for us for their whole, uh, entire career. Both going to graduate in May, and uh, looking at graduate school, so that's an exciting thing for both of them. And then brought in uh, Brittany Snowden from my old junior college, Northwest Florida State, and she's been you know by far the best leader I've ever had um, at ETSU or at any level. Uh, remarkable kid and. and um, just one of those that you really hate to see go um, because she's so uh, charismatic and, and personable and just represents our, all that's good about our program. And then to bring in uh, Lexa Spears as a compliment to Brittany at the five position and have somebody come in that's a, a proven five player, which are hard to find uh, in the women's game and that uh, gives us a, another low post threat. And she's been nothing but a great addition as well. And we'll finish up another year here at ETSU and walk away with her master's degree. So um, really sweet group, really hardworking group. Um, you know, it would be hard-pressed for anybody in our league to say they had a better group of post players than what we've got. I, I've tried to – explain because a lot of people have asked you know what about Brittany Snowden because you you've talked so mm -hmm. highly about her and I said well it's one of those players that when you lose like you'll be like oh, so, you know can't figure out something with the team yeah. and there's so many things that she does that yeah. normal fans and stuff probably don't know that all goes into what know. she brings to the table yeah she she's one of those that you know if something's going on with a kid you know a, a personal problem she tries to handle it she's kind of the intermediary between the coaches and the players and you know she's going to make a, a really good GA because she has the ability to relate to not only the the coaching side but to the playing side. She's a very mature kid um, and, and understands her role as a leader. I don't know if I've ever seen Brittany have a bad day, um, and she's she's really quick to hold other teammates accountable, and that's what you want. And uh, she's the first one when she makes mistakes to say, "Hey, that put that on me." But um, you know, she's she's just a, a really special kid. Her, her mom, Keisha, has done just a, a remarkable job with her. First kid in her family to go to college. She'll be the first kid in her family with a, a master's degree um, in the next two years. And she's just one of those kids, Jay, that you just pull for. You you can't help but but pull for that kid because she works so hard in everything she does. I mean, three eight student. You know, went to junior college and was four zero student and and was six A player of the year in the state of Florida and just really kind of under the radar her whole life, but a better kid than she is player, and she's a pretty good player. Coach, uh, is, 
you look at the starting lineup. Most people, you, know, you start seniors do all that. You look like you had a dream starting lineup there. <laughs> it was awful. You know, it was funny. Uh. I, and even though I knew it was senior day, and I was uh, I was running, to, I was actually in Kingsport running some errands. I was listening to the game, and I thought, well, let me check live stats here. And I'm sitting there looking at the starting lineup. I'm going, what in the world? And I was, oh, senior day. Because at first I was Horrible. like, I thought. Maybe you lost your – I don't know. You know. Somebody got in trouble. Yeah, I didn't know what. <laughs> I was going to text Mike Younger and say, what the heck's going on over there? But that's what the head coach from Sanford, he said to me, he goes, good Lord. He goes, that's the biggest starting lineup I've ever seen. <laughs> and I go, you may want to pressure us. We don't have anybody who can dribble except for Erica. And, you know, Erica comes to me and she goes, it's my dream coach. I get to be the point guard. I'm like, don't get used to mm. it. This is not your thing. I mean, this is how bad it was, Jay. They were all so excited. We ran a play. Brittany Snowden was on the wing, and, and we were supposed to – interchange the five and three to take Brittany Snowden to the block and and have her post up a a guard. Lexa Spears pops out to the corner and shoots an air ball three, very first possession of the game. And then every one of them on the bench is looking at me like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, well, I can't take them out. It's her senior day. If I take them out within 30 seconds, it's going to be bad. But they finally come over the bench. I said, Lexa, I said, did we draw that up? She goes, no, coach, I was feeling it. I was like, well, you know, don't get that feeling again. That was terrible. That, uh, that's, that's one of my favorite Karen, <laughs> late Karen Kemp stories was one, one time, and, I, and this was back when Don Helm was doing the play of play. I'd sit behind the bench mm-hmm. and I would report on the timeouts. And, and Don said, hey, what did Coach F say? I said, well, she uh, looked at an unnamed player and said, why did you shoot that shot? And the player said, um, I thought I could hit that. And Coach looked at him and said, let me assure you, you cannot. <laughs> And please don't shoot it anymore. <laughs> so. it's, you're, you're either open – most of the time you're open by design. It's either my design or the opposing team's design, and that was their design for her to shoot that. It was horrible. Um, but she felt good about it, left a follow-through up there and everything. Well, and, and that's – you know, <laughs> and, and let's be honest. These are seniors. They're a little smarter They're than the freshmen, smart. so yeah. she figured – if I'm gonna if I'm gonna get a round off, if I'm gonna get a round off for 30 seconds, it's gonna be a little tough uh, to do that. We're busy with Brittany's on the Jesse Radio Coaches Show, uh, live from uh, Wild Wing Cafe. Uh, coach, let's talk about the game because it was the exact. And I gotta give Mike Gallagher credit. I hate to do it; he's back in the studio. I hate giving him credit, but he he had called the 42 point turnaround mm-hmm. from a 21 point defeat to a 21 point win because Sanford was such a, a bus on out of character yeah. for them the first go around, yeah. and just felt like the emotion of senior day plus reality setting in <laughs> that it, 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 it bode well for ETSU to pick up a 21 point. You know, after we we played at their place, Jay, I, I told the kids I was furious and not necessarily at our kids, but it's just, you get mad at situations. They couldn't have played any better. I think they shot 58% from the floor and most of them were contested or kids were hitting threes that hadn't hit one all year. And we're just thinking, my God, it's Murphy's law. If it could go wrong, it did. And you know, it wasn't that our kids played that horrible horribly Sanford just played that well and you know Mike's pretty in tune to what we're doing he knew he knew that if we got out and pressured he knew that if we utilized our post I think we scored 50 some odd points in the post 52 of our 71 points were in the in the paint and I think he knew us well enough to know that 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 Sanford game was a one-off that one was the only conference loss that I'm that I shook my head about well the, the Furman thing, but but then I only shook my head about just saying there really wasn't much we could do, and uh, sometimes you just have nights like that. But uh, yeah, I appreciate the fact that Mike's that in tune and and had the had the turnaround pegged. I uh, love that. There's some coercion. He still <laughs> hosed me on the 50 point uh, <laughs> prediction uh, under 50 on that, and two threes in the last 30 seconds, whatever it was, didn't didn't do well for me. But uh, I thought, you know, you look at 
you got some seniors in there, you got to do whatever. It's still important to win mm-hmm. the game. You got to get momentum. Certainly, it was a bounce back from a tough Thursday, yeah. and we've seen enough of that on the women's and the men's side yeah. where, you, you know, you lose a, a hard-fought game to a number one team in the league. It's tough to yeah. to bounce back on that Saturday and certainly able to do that. And you look at the back half of the, the league, and, and, again, I'm sure you can make an argument, uh, wins and losses either way, but you're sitting there looking at two overtimes, two single – well, three single mm-hmm. digits, two one-possession games. You're sitting there looking, you could – very realistically, almost a nine-game win streak at this point yeah. going in the Southern Conference Tournament. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we are at a bar here, Jay. I may have to may have to get something to, yeah, uh, to the bar here later. But, yeah, I mean, we're, we've been so close. And, uh, you know, it's like you and I talked about before we went on the air. Free throws, turnovers at inopportune times, just one stop, one rebound. And, you know, everybody wants to point to the end of the game. Well, why didn't you do this at the end? Why you well, guess what? The free throw in the first quarter counts just as much as the one we missed in the fourth. And the turnover in the first quarter might have cost you the game as much as the one in the fourth. And and that's what we got to get our kids to understand. If we play with the kind of urgency that they've been playing with here lately, and, and even the overtime games, I can take it because they're giving us absolutely everything they got. And as long as they do that – never going to complain and and it's like I told him the other day any losses they they belong to me they go on my shoulders you know I've got to I've got to do a better job of finding that one possession that I can save for them if it's a timeout when somebody dives on the floor if it's a a substitution at an opportune time I got to do my job for them but they're they're doing all they can they're they've gotten (laughs) so much better since the beginning of the year and I and I think our difficult schedule and um, you know, do, having the short turnaround and playing in events like we played in Vancouver where you're playing back-to-back nights, I, I think that's just going to pay off for us uh, here in the next two weeks. It certainly seems like that uh, now that everyone's kind of been healthy and mm-hmm. there's a normal rotation, everybody sort of knows their role. It's been it's the second half of that season. There's a lot more continuity. every more in tune and your fine tuning is still continuing as that's all important because let's face it the uh the mercer team this year isn't last mm-hmm, year where mm-hmm. they kind of walked in the building and probably spotted 12 <laughs> points right yeah it's not that every team including western carolina yeah. uh at home lost in about a, i think his last four seconds of the game mercer had a shot beat him by two, two. yeah and so there's not anybody i think that is scary in the tournament it's just who can get it kind of rocking and rolling mm-hmm. going in and you've got an opportunity with two road games i know it's been the bugaboo this year yeah. but you still got two games that could get right yeah. that's a three-game win streak still playing well and then you know you go into Asheville, which the the women's team uh, you know twice in your tenure's been yeah. in the championship so they it's been a yeah. place that's been very successful for you yeah you know I, I think our kids feel good about going on the road this time you know when we went to Wofford and and Samford on our last road trip and you lose you know a overtime game and a, and a a buzzer beater I mean I think we're like I said Jay I think we're on the verge and I think you're right. Um, everybody's looking to be building some momentum and, and win or lose, we've still got to be showing uh, forward progress. That's all we keep talking about is upward trajectory and forward progress because Asheville has been good to us and uh, we are a pretty good short turnaround team. I mean, you know, to lose, like you mentioned earlier, to, you know, to lose the way we did to Mercer, it would have been easy to have a hangover against the Samford, but we didn't. And it showed some maturity and showed some toughness. And, you know, if some things fall the right way, we can still finish, I believe, third is as high as we can get. And, you know, you want to be in that 1-3 matchup or I mean, 2-3 matchup rather than the 1-4. So, I, I'm, you know, I like where we are. I like what we're still capable of doing. And, um, you know, when you get to the tournament, it really doesn't matter because, like you said, our league is pretty wide open regardless of what you think of their record. Everybody in the in, in the league has played close games all year. It's been really a dogfight all year. 
I, I think more than any, I think, you know, for on the men's side, it's, you know, eh, upsets can happen, but you think there's four teams yeah. legitimately yeah. that's in the ring for that. For the women, I can make an argument for six yeah, with, I would with agree. ease yeah. uh, that six teams could go in there, could win it. Yep. And and just like the men, there's probably one or two teams that could pull that quarter round, uh, quarter final mm-hmm. round upset. There's still two other teams at the bottom yep. of the league that, that could pull that upset off as well. So it should be an entertaining tournament. You got a chance. Uh, and again, uh, Mercer's obviously going to be the one seed, but. Uh, Furman and Wofford, I'm not mistaken, still has to play Mercer and Sanford on the the road, road, right? So that could be a couple of losses. You know, ETSU uh, got a chance to pick up a couple wins. It's still not out of the realm of a – I've already looked at it. A (laughs) three-way tie for second place. I haven't quite done the tiebreakers yet, but I've I've already looked at it for you because, you know, I like to be positive. I appreciate Uh, you. I've already – there is a way to finish in a three-way tie for second. Yeah. uh, And – it's it's just interesting to see how all that can break down to show yeah. you how crazy the league has been. Yeah. I mean, you're sitting there looking at two through nine, really not separated by a whole lot of okay. games. No, I, I, this is the time of year that you really wish that uh, Citadel and VMI had women's teams. Uh, I think it would actually help create some some more separation because the teams that we have, we only have eight, are, are so competitive and there's so much parity. I'd love to have ten teams in our league. I, I'd love to be able to do that. But, you know, I'm, I'm hoping they go to strength of schedule as the tiebreaker because we're 22 in the non-conference. That's our strength of schedule. Uh, you know, I think it actually jumped to 30 because somebody lost. I think it was Michigan State. But, mm. you know, still, you got a 30 strength of schedule in, in non-conference. I'll take that any day of the week. But uh, we don't do the net rank, rankings like the men do. So I'm not really sure what the, the tiebreaker would be. And I'm trying not to look at it. Now you're making me look at it. So <laughs> I, I appreciate that, Jay. There Thanks was a – some sort of RPI, which again doesn't exist. So yep. I don't, I'm not sure. Yeah, there you go. Which the men says that too, but we all did. The, and we did email the league just to, to yeah. clarify yeah. that it is the NET for the men. But yeah. uh, you know, we could be Texas high school football on a three-way tie. Just go the coin flip. And I see did like happened. that. I am all about that. That Permian and, mm-hmm. and flip it and let mm-hmm. it hit in the. In what the, would in be the your restaurant? go-to coin? You got a coin? I got a, I got a coin, but mm. they wouldn't like it if I flipped it. So mm. it's my University of Alabama senior coin, so they, mm. would, they wouldn't like that. I'd, I'd hold on to it. Is it two heads? Is it both A's yeah, on each yeah. side? <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's Nick Saban's head on one side and uh, Bear Bryant on the other. So yeah. Yeah. We're, we're visiting with head coach Brittany <laughs> Zell here on the Tissue Radio Coach Show. Head coach Steve Forbes will be up in just a few minutes, and uh, we'll talk to him about <laughs> – uh, the contest this week and then coming up on his senior day and mm-hmm. what's going on there. Coach, real quick, a uh, little X's nose, UNCG, West Carolina. I think Western's first on Thursday. Yeah. We'll, we'll have the radio call. Act. Uh, Mike will be on the road in Cullowee there at 7 p.m., then 2 p.m. Saturday. Four. Or it's a 4 p.m. It is yeah. 4 p.m. I'm sorry, 4 p.m. at UNCG yeah. on Saturday to wrap up the season. What can you expect or what can fans expect to see from those two squads? Certainly, well, Western uh, went to overtime yeah. and then UNCG, a little nip and tuck until uh, kind of yeah. got away from them there at the end. Western hates us um, because of the way that they lost in overtime and on a shot with less than 0.7 seconds to go. And uh, it'll be a tough game over there. It's difficult to generate uh, energy over there. Um, it's not like Brooks Gym where there's people everywhere and it's loud. It's just different. It's a, it's a much more calm and quiet environment. So we've got to come in and create our own energy and, and be able to, um, you know, sustain that for four 
quarters, it's easy to let up um, when you get over there. But, you know, what's amazing to me about them is they continue to play hard for her, uh, for Coach Mack. And, um, you know, they're always dangerous because they can shoot the three. They've got good size. You know, their, their record may not show up. But they've lost to us in overtime. Like you said, they lost to Mercer by two. They lost to Furman by, I think, six. I mean, it's it's really pretty crazy, um, the things that they've been doing. And then uh, over in UNCG, it'll be tough. Just like the men went over there on their senior day, that's what we're doing. And uh, that'll be a um, that'll be a tough environment for us, and I, I think they've got a handful of seniors, and um, so uh, we'll have to, to kind of negate their emotion and, and try to match it, if not uh, you know, make them match ours. But they play a funky uh, one-two-two zone. They they press, they try to get up and down the floor, and they're very physical. So uh, two very contrasting styles to to finish the season. But we want to go in there playing well, playing hard, and we want to leave the weekend uh, healthy. Coach, you know you got to get recruit no courage. Yep. I'll I'll let you get there. Uh, good luck with that. Uh, hopefully, you get uh, another outstanding athlete in. I know you can't talk about it, but can't uh, talk about hope it, but. you uh, <laughs> do something there. All right, <laughs> it. Coach Brittany is there. We'll see you now. Next week, you're you're coming back. Uh, yeah. the, the tournament preview special. Tournament preview. Yeah, it's one come, of my favorite shows. I uh, will come back. We'll talk about it, and uh, and we'll hopefully revisit uh, two road wins. And uh, so we're we're just excited to you know to continue to play, yeah. Jay. And so, I think our fans are pumped about. Talk it. about the road wins. Yep. We'll have the full seedings. I'll have it laid out on how you're going to win the championship. Love It'll it. be great. Everything Love will go. It. No, hopefully, Mike Gallagher two road wins this week. Boom! You're predicting it. Got it. I think there's no doubt about it. I agree. I agree. You're going to steal mine, aren't you? I was going to go ahead and maybe put it in on Thursday. Bold prediction. Women get two road wins. That's not a bold prediction. Uh, UNCG. They have none. UNC, they have none. UNCG and I'm giving them two. UNCG none. Western Carolina none. are the bottom two none. teams. You don't know. You who do to me last week. <laughs> the collusion last week. Collusion against. I'm not doing it this week. I called it first. You should have said it first. You said it I out think, loud. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say anything. I think you should have to wouldn't go say. with two road wins by 20 plus points. I don't know. No, 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 no you're not going to go that. No, okay. No. All right, what do we got? Top 25 coming up. Great conversation Brittany Zell. We're from C. Forbes, mid-major, and regular top 25. Right after this time, I'm standing aside. Kick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Ballot Health is an integrated healthcare system built to meet the local needs in Northeast Tennessee and Southwest Virginia. Together with community, we're transforming our region. We're making communities healthier. We're expanding access to critical services in rural areas. And we're investing in health research and medical education. It's your story. We're listening. Ballot Health is proud to be the official health care provider of ETSU Athletics. Go Bucks! The Carnegie Hotel is Johnson City's only AAA four-diamond property that is unique, tranquil, and brimming with character, just adjacent to East Tennessee State University. When it's time to dine, Wellington's Restaurant in the Carnegie Hotel is the place to be, serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner in grand style. And why not come indulge yourself at Austin Springs Spa, located right inside the Carnegie Hotel. East Tennessee's premier full-service spa provides everything you need to rejuvenate, revive, and renew. The Carnegie Hotel, 12 16 State of Franklin Road in Johnson City. Wendy's has three new hamburgers on the new Made to Crave menu. The barbecue cheeseburger, the sauce and bacon cheeseburger, and the peppercorn mushroom melt. They've got so much swagger, they'll change the way you think about hamburgers and the way you ride through our drive-thru. Maybe you'll lean your seat back a little. Maybe a lot. Maybe you'll roll your windows down. Or maybe your window's broken because you punched through it to get your hamburger faster. Try the three new hamburgers on Wendy's new Made to Crave menu and download the Wendy's app for craveable deals today. At Wendy's, we got you. At participating Wendy's. 
Mulliken Hardwood Flooring is a beautiful addition to any room. Enjoy the luxury of hardwood flooring in your home with Mulliken's pre-finished, sold, or engineered, ready-to-install selection of beautiful hardwood flooring and a wide variety of domestic and exotic species. Please visit the following Johnson's Kidding locations to learn more. Dockery's Floor Covering, House of Paneling, Carpet and Door Mart, and K&M Flooring. Kingsport locations include Dalton Direct Carpets, Custom Floors by Carlin, El Providence Flooring and Paint. Visit the Smile Floor Service in Bristol. Trust the clear leader in quality hardwood flooring, Mulliken Flooring. General Shale is proud to support ETSU basketball and Southern Conference fans everywhere. Want to make the most of game day? Now you can design your dream home during pregame or halftime. The new My Designs app by General Shale lets you design custom projects right from your phone or tablet. Choose from up to 10 building types designed with over 50 of our most popular brick and stone colors. You can even share your designs with your friends. Download the My Designs app by General Shale on the App Store or visit MyDesignsApp.com to design your dream project today. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks. But we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. time for top 25 it's a tuesday we're gonna look at the mid-major and get a chance to look at the regular top 25 as the second socon team has cracked it i'm sure it's a shocker to all we'll get to that in a minute though mike uh a lot to talk about on the mid-major top 25 today we're only doing a three-segment show firstly because it is packed with basketball and we wanted to hear from each head coach and also talk a bigger picture of mid-major basketball but this last segment's going to be loaded because there was a lot of movement in the mid-major top 25 because there are multiple teams and there have been multiple the whole year but now a third team from mid-major in the top 25 that being Wofford that we'll talk about in just a moment and also because conference title races are either winding down have already been locked up or are heating up number one Gonzaga still number one in the top 25 also number one now in the AP poll they've won all 18 in a row by double digits longest win streak in the nation and all of them have been by double digits 11 of the 18 have been by 30 or more their wins last week 28 points over Pepperdine 34 over BYU number two Wofford in the top 25 in the AP number 24 this week still number two in the mid-major their first AP top 25 ranking in school history and coach Forbes you heard that last night in the coaches show thinks that they are in if they beat Chattanooga and Sanford regardless of how the tournament goes was I reading into that incorrectly or I think that's what he said I, I, th- I think if um if they can win, and I agree, I think if they can win and they lost in the semis to one of the top four teams, which right now that would either be Furman or ETSU, right? Uh, then I think uh, they would still get in. I think the the love around the country right now would get that. 
If they were to misstep in the regular season, though, unfortunately, as much as they're getting love, that would immediately throw doubt on it. And then if they lost in the semifinals, more doubt on it. If they lost in the championship, they lost the regular season game and the championship, you know, chances are greater, maybe. Uh, it probably depends on how those losses go. You know, was it a, a, a weird buzzer beater, full court heave? Was it a 10-point defeat? You know, how how they lose would probably matter, too. A lot of times it doesn't, but I think maybe for Wofford where the, there's a very fine line of if they're going to make it or not, then I'm thinking that that may be in. But I think, again, it, it, we have nothing because it's the first year of the net, but in the RPI, if a team was in the top – I think it was in the – cracked the top 40, so they were in the 30s or better – and they were in the top 25. So 30s RPI or better and top 25, everyone's gotten in the tournament. So it'd be, I'd be hard-pressed yeah. for the committee to look at people who are supposed to know basketball too and say, you have them in the top 25, we don't even have them in the top 68. I just refuse to believe that's going to happen. Number three in the top 25 in mid-major, Buffalo. They weren't challenged in their wins over Ohio and Kent State this week. The other of the three ranked mid-major teams in the AP poll, though, they are above Wofford by three spots at number 21. Three more games until their showdown with Bowling Green, who are second in the MAC East, one game behind the Bulls for first in the division. That's the better side of the division. The West leader, number 21 in the mid-major poll, Toledo, trails them both. In the OVC, Belmont and Murray State both hold serve, each winning their two matchups this week, both one game ahead of Austin P and Jacksonville State. That's going to be a crazy tournament. Austin P and Murray State meet Saturday. Could be chaos if Austin P pulls out the victory on the road. So you've got Gonzaga number one, Wofford number two, Buffalo number three, and a pair of OVC teams, Belmont and Murray State, numbers four and five to round out the top five. Yeah, and that's, that's another league it's begging for, too. But right now, what Wofford seems to be getting in the Southern Conference a lot more love. And I don't know if it's because the four teams greater than the two. And I've not really studied uh, um, Murray's schedule uh, enough, to be honest with you. Now, Belmont, one of their big wins, of course, the fans at ETSU, way too familiar because it was Rick Bird over Murray Bartow again at UCLA. They saw that enough when it was in Johnson City. And uh, Belmont with a buzzer beater at UCLA, so they're able to pick up one of their wins. And I think they had a a, a loss, maybe uh, Illinois State or something, but it was coming off where they had to bust like 700 miles right after a game mm. and play. They lost, uh, or they won in overtime at Sanford, and then bust somewhere. And I think Illinois the, the, through the night and had a half day rest and played the next day and got beat. And I think that's something again mid major life uh, where other teams would have chartered to the next place. Uh, you know. Uh, Belmont, I'm sorry, was not able to do that, and I think that that could be a loss that, that cost them. Really heavy in the top four, much like the SOCOM. Belmont and Murray State 14-2 and two in the league, then Austin P and Jacksonville State 13-3. and three. UC Irvine played once last week, beat Cal Poly. They've already beat Cal State Fullerton twice, the second-place team in the Big West, plus they have a two-and-a-half game lead in the league. That regular season title pretty much locked up. Number seven is New Mexico State. Clinched the number one seed in the WAC as they have a three-game lead with three to play and two wins already over second-place Grand Canyon. They won 13 in a row, third-longest win streak in the nation behind Gonzaga and Wofford. Number eight, there's UNCG, the win over the Bucks, Three-point overtime win over Western Carolina. A couple of buzzer-beating wins, but that moved them up four spots, which I thought was interesting. Went right down to the wire against both teams, but still up four spots. South Dakota State, they put up 90 in both of their games last week. Wins over Fort Wayne and South Dakota with the win over Western Illinois, who are terrible. 
They clinch a share of the league title. Omaha can split it with wins at Oral Roberts, who are middle of the league in the summit, and at last place, Denver. So still a little bit to be decided, but South Dakota State, if they take care of business against Western Illinois, they will have at least a share of that summit league title. Then Hofstra, number 10 in the mid-major poll. They slip up in overtime against James Madison, who are under 500 this year, and that was two days after edging Towson, who have the same league record as James Madison, 6-10 and 10, two days earlier. The door is open for number 22, North Northeastern in the mid-major poll to take the one seed and the conference title in the CAA's final week, two games to go. So once again, number six, UC Irvine, number seven, New Mexico State, number eight, the Spartans of UNCG, number nine, South Dakota State, number 10, Hofstra. Uh, South Dakota State, by the way, our boy Mike Dom. Yes. Career point 3,000, I think I saw. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just that something. Is ridiculous. Yes, yes. 2,000 is pretty ridiculous. I think he's the second, I think it was the second or third player all time to hit the 3,000-point plateau. That's how Unreal. just ridiculous he is. Number 11 and number 13, both out of the A-Sun. Number 11, Lipscomb, and number 13, Liberty. Both lose this past week in yeah, conference shockers, play. Actually. Yeah, so they stay tied atop the league. Lipscomb lost Wednesday at Florida Gulf Coast, then Saturday with the door wide open to climb ahead. Liberty loses to North Florida. So both of them drop a game between those two is firm and down one spot are the Paladins after that eight-point loss uh, to Wofford. I wonder, and we were talking about this last night on the coaches' show, me and Trey Adams behind the scenes while we were here back in studio cutting sound and making sure the show is on the air. Who do you think has a better at-large resume, UNCG or Furman? You look at the numbers 8 and 12 teams in the mid-major bowl. I think Furman. Just because of the win over Villanova? Yeah, I, I mean. Loyola Chicago win doesn't really hold a lot right, of steam. They, you look they, at their resume They've been now. struggling, but, I mean, if you look uh, at UNCG, I want to say. All their losses are good losses, which is the one thing we looked at as something that could swing it in their favor. UNCG? Yes. Uh, I mean, the Sanford loss is the only one I guess you could point to for uh, – uh, Furman. Correct. Uh, but the one thing, I, I just don't think the strength of schedule, if I'm not mistaken, favors Furman over UNCG. Six-point loss at LSU for UNCG versus 18 for Furman. Another thing where I know they're both losses, but UNCG was right in that game till the end. Yeah, but I, I think I think you're looking at uh, 17 at Kentucky. I mean, Kentucky's obviously shown their top five. Right, team in the that country. was their two uh, money games. Right, I think that was the two money games that they had. Uh, I thought good showing. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I don't. I don't think it's a bad showing at all. I think uh, sometimes the weight of being ranked in the top twenty-five. You know, there's some other things that go into that. I I know for sure UNCG played three non-division one teams, and I want to say maybe Furman did too. So I don't know if that's a wash as well. Greensboro um, College, Johnson and Wales for UNCG, and I'm not sure what the third. Yeah, one is, they both, and, and yeah, and they both. You're, you know, the LSU is the only common non-conference opponent, I believe. I right. don't think they both. You've got the two blowout losses for UNCG to Wofford. Obviously, that hurts 29 and 30 points, and then the only other loss is to Furman, 67 to 57. So five losses. Those are the five, and not really a bad loss unless you want to include blowouts against a ranked team in Wofford. I was certainly surprised by the second blowout, the 80-50 to 50 loss. Maybe not so much the first one, but it didn't seem like they learned a thing going and losing by 30. Well, at UNCG, and it's looking at the numbers with uh, our sports information director, Kevin Brown, a little bit earlier today, as a matter of fact. When UNCG forces turnovers, they win. Against Wofford, they forced eight and nine turnovers. It's not enough. They right. forced, uh, I want to say, against Furman at Furman, it was, it was nine or ten. And so you you look at their losses and they they just they're not turning it over, 
and they've honestly their last four games now granted three of the last four games they've played etsu Furman, and wofford so the competition's better but they're, they're not they're only shooting uh under 30 percent from three in those last four games uh, and they only shot over 30 percent in that game against west carolina i think because francis alonzo hit a big three at the end of regulation and two big threes in overtime. Otherwise, they probably would have been under that number against Western Carolina, too. So they're having a little bit of trouble scoring the basketball. But they're built off turnovers. When they get turnovers, they really um, uh, they really get out in transition and get those easy buckets. And then the athleticism of Miller and Troy and Dickey and all those guys are really good. When you get them in a half-court game, that's really where UNCG struggles uh, defensively. They're not – and, and Dickey can go more and block some shots, but – they're really not that great of a half-court defense team. They're built on kind of getting their hands up. And like we saw early – well, I guess you didn't because uh, you were in the dark here uh, with the power. Correct. But the first five, six minutes was ETSU getting passes deflected and steals and led to easy buckets. And ETSU did a great job not giving up second-chance points after that. But that's really the difference in UNCG's wins and losses. Furman, they had a 10-point lead at Sanford, and that's going to be the head-scratching loss. But I think if you look at the – and, and uh, I don't have the NET pulled up, but if I you do. look at that. 48 okay. for Furman and 61 for UNC. Yeah, and I, the bet strength of schedule is a big reason for that. And so I think that's – I think it's a conversation worth having. I know you're all for the Furman argument. I think that UNCG, with the losses that they've had, I really don't think it's as one-sided as it can be made out to be. Personally, that's just personal opinion. Well, you know, and they did, they did play uh, – I think they each played Wilmington, if I'm not mistaken. There's a, a couple – couple of uh, other games you could kind of point to. Uh, let's see, UNCG won. 61 was yeah, the one for And then Furman won 93-50. Mm, they won wow. by 43. Mm. And I want to say maybe both played Elon. And one point win for UNCG, 75-74. had to pull it out. And 98-77 Furman. Okay. And it was at Elon. Um, both were at Elon. Yes. So that, that helps that out. So I don't think there's another comp besides conference. I was just trying to see. And I know the LSU uh, is the other game uh, that, that would have been – I don't think Johnson and Wells counts. We're just going to throw that out. That's so, Sanford loss. I don't know. Maybe, the, the, maybe the, I'm making it out to be a bigger thing. Well, you know, and that, was, that, that was a, in a part of they lost three or four. They lost two road games in a row to UNCG, Wofford, barely beat Chat, and then at home lost to Sanford. And then, then they kind of turned it on. They'd won seven in a row. lost. Four. I think the strength of schedule will play into that. You know, to, to me, I don't know the committee is going to go back and, and – study some of those game by games sure. I, I think they'll look at strength schedule they'll look at uncg didn't beat any big boys and they're going to credit Furman with beating a big boy and i think that's going to help them in, in the committee's mind and again i have no idea what the committee's going to say but my guess is Furman has an edge and as a matter of fact Furman is still getting votes in the coaches poll that's true which tells me that, that jay is wright true. is working that as best he can and saying <laughs> baby we need to vote Furman in there as much as we can that's what I think. Number 14, Montana, up four spots in the poll, but that was on the line against Northern Colorado last night. I did not see the result of that contest. Did you? I did not. I can go and pull it up right now. Uh, bu- 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 Probably should have watched it. Uh, it was. I was trying to watch it um, and then just didn't have the chance to do so. Um, it'll take me a second here. Out of the big sky, Montana, number 14. The fact that they were up four spots coming in, it's tough on those Monday night games. for. And I was looking, actually, for this poll uh, last night, and it didn't come out until about 8 o'clock. I thought they may wait all the way until uh, Tuesday morning to capture these games, but Northern Colorado pulls the upset on the road, 74 
to 72. And so the big sky is going to be uncomfortably close for what would have been the league leaders really by a significant margin had that game gone differently last night. But the big sky now, if you look at the standings after that two-point win for Northern Colorado, just a one game lead for Montana uh, for the Grizzlies so uh, 20 and 7 overall 18 and 9 Northern Colorado are just one game back and Weber State's third at 10 and 6 so certainly once that poll comes out next week Montana going to drop a few spots from their number 14 position the Bucks in Vermont both down two spots Vermont lost to UMBC last year's Cinderella who are third in that league but then lost to Albany did the Retrievers but that one over Vermont did Stony Brook a favor because number 23 in College Insiders poll are Stony Brook. They also lost to Albany and would have been in trouble for the league title race if not for that loss by Vermont. Now they have a showdown, Stony Brook and Vermont. If the Seawolves win, it's a likely share of the conference crown. If Vermont wins, the regular season title is theirs and theirs alone should both teams win out outside of that game. No guarantee, though, UMPC and Stony Brook clash Wednesday that I think is going to be a phenomenal conference tournament as well and race to the finish in that, the that was actually a league we were looking at uh on the car ride up to, to Greensboro just trying to look at different leagues and, yeah. and who's leading and stuff and that thing is is completely jumbled it's a cluster I mean it, and it and you look at some of the records some of that and that's a that's another league and I don't know what all they did non-conference I know they're not very ranked conference wide uh as far as in any T goes if I'm not mistaken but uh, as high as the, I mean, the Southern Conference, I think, is 10th uh, in that ranking. But the American East race is just all over the map. And they got a good team. And again, that part of the problem, which I thought the Southern Conference would have this problem, is the top four teams would end up beating up on one another. And I didn't think Wofford's doing what they would do. Let's credit Wofford. But I didn't think they would go undefeated. If they did, I thought, well, they got a shot at, you know, if one team went undefeated with that gauntlet, then maybe a team has a shot in that large and they do. I just felt like. Wofford would have a couple losses. Everybody else would, would pick up a win here and there. And then nobody would have a good enough resume to get an at-large. They would beat up, I think, the American East has done that. They've yes. just beaten each other up nonstop. If you're looking at the top three leagues in mid-major to watch down the stretch and into the conference tournaments, I think that it is certainly the Southern Conference. I think that it's the America East. And then it's also the OVC for me. Those are the top three. Yeah, and that, you know, and, and again, if you want to look at Joe Lenardi's, uh, you know, brackets and all that stuff, his latest ESPN thing, you know, he's got Wofford as an eight, um, so they're an eight-nine game. They've got Lipscomb, a former, you know, a son foe, Lipscomb at a twelve, and they've got Murray State at a thirteen. But first four, excuse me, first four out, they got Belmont, and so OVC making statement there. That just says, you know, Furman was there. Belmont sort of replaced them. And so that that may be a good sign that if, you know, things shake up and teams that are supposed to win their league win their league and a couple of other teams, you know, St. Clemson, Temple, NC State could lose a couple of games, then maybe the OVC would get a second team in. And then if Wofford, again, can win the regular season undefeated, lose in just the semis or the finals, then they would get in as well. And then you would have what I would love to see, which is OVC getting to – the Southern Conference getting to. The only other really races I think down the stretch that I would put in that category would be the Sun Belt, which we'll talk about in just a second. And I know the Ivy League, uh, they do not have a postseason tournament still, correct? Or have they? They, uh, they do. The, they the, the top four. Top four. Guys. Top four. So that's going to be good, too. Uh, and we'll talk about that in just a moment as well. In fact, Yale, number 17, lost to Harvard by two Saturday. And the conference title race fully on in the Ivy. Four games left in Yale up by one game over Harvard 
and over Princeton. Uh, number 18 is Sam Houston State, the biggest risers this week, seven spots up after putting up 119 against Houston Baptist and beating Nichols State as well. They've clinched a share of the conference title in the Southland. Number 19, St. Mary's. We're used to seeing them a lot higher in the mid-major top 25 and also used to just seeing them in the top 25 in the mid-major more often than they have been this year, but they're making late moves in the regular season. Number 19 up six spots. Technically, they were unranked last week, so the rise could have been even bigger. They overtake BYU for second in the West Coast Conference after the Cougars lost to Gonzaga last week. Number 20, Texas State. Here's where the Sun Belt comes in. Uh, down one spot where Texas State split their games last week. The Sun Belt not very convincing this year because every team has at least four losses, and that's led by Texas State is that conference. And that's where I think some of the conferences that haven't gotten the love in the mid-major top 25, a lot of the teams at the top have beaten up on each other. And if you don't have teams ranked in the mid-major top 25, I'm kind of discounting your conference tournament, your conference race, because there are a couple uh, that are close, but just the, the MAAC, for instance, is one. But I'm not going to shed a ton of light on that simply because the teams are not significant enough, in my opinion. Is that uh, fair? Yes. That, yes, I, I agree. They're not significant enough. I totally agree with you. I think it's a very fair assessment. The, you know, the thing that's driving me crazy, and I've, I've checked three different bracketologists here, Oklahoma is still listed in a solid in mm. they are five and ten in league play five and ten winning percentage in league plays 33 percent i know they're uh 17 and 11. they were lost last night so they're 17 and 11 overall but uh, I, and i know they beat wofford but still i'll give you i'll give you another i mean nebraska and you and me were talking about this last week there was an article that came out by uh, college basketball talk the nbc sports kind of college basketball hub for everything that they do by rob douster he was making a case for nebraska out of the big 10 at the time they were also five and ten i think they were 15 and 11 now they've lost their last two so so this bit of information is a bit outdated in terms of nebraska's resume the thought was that the Cornhuskers, who last year, by the way, were 22-10 and 13-5 and and in league play and did not get in. They got a five seed in the NIT. So you can see kind of the spasticity of the selection committee and, and even the NIT with what they got last year. But the thought behind the article was shoes on the other foot. <clears throat> pardon me, shoes on the other foot. And you're going to have Nebraska this year, while they may have gotten jobbed in terms of wins and losses last year, really have that flip. Now that may have changed, but still – Five conference wins. I mean, incredible that Oklahoma is still in. Nebraska was getting that same steam last week. I, I'm, they've lost six of eight. Unbelievable. Oklahoma's lost six of eight. I just can't. Uh, hopefully, the the committee and, and, and Joe Lenardi's one guy, but there's some other bracketologists just throwing them out there, and I don't. I don't and I, they're getting a lot of credit for the beginning of the year. And maybe, maybe somebody's screaming at their, you know, the we'll have really engulf the podcast that there's some injury that I'm unaware of, but. Still six of eight, five and ten. I mean, people were up in arms when uh, was Syracuse was seven and nine and got in. Right. People were up in arms when they were seven and nine. Maybe we'll talk to Lando about that uh, tomorrow. But eight, eight and eight, maybe. You know. But my goodness, you're talking about five and ten. They are two, four, six, eight. They are eighth in the Big Twelve. 
Number 21, Toledo. We talked about them a little bit earlier briefly. The West leader in the MAC, but that is the weaker side of that conference in terms of divisions. Number 22, Northeastern also mentioned them. Mm -hmm. They could really make some strides in the Colonial. They were unranked last week, but if Hofstra does finish their season how it's looking like, they may slipping up against James Madison and continuing that slide. Northeastern is, I believe, just one game back right now uh, in the uh, Colonial. So make sure to watch that as they go for their 20th win in their next game. Stony Brook, number 23, also mentioned them. Bowling Green touched on them earlier uh, as well. And then San Francisco, who are now fourth in the West Coast Conference behind BYU, St. Mary's, and Gonzaga round up the top 25. So Gonzaga gets all 31 first place votes. Then you got Wofford and Buffalo also ranked in the AP top 25 as the other top three in the College Insider mid-major poll. Then Belmont and Murray State out of the OVC. UC Irvine, New Mexico State, UNCG, Mike Dom and South Dakota State, Hofstra. Those are the top 10. ETSU comes in at number 16. That was four spots behind Furman, the number four team in the Southern Conference in these rankings this week. Four still in the top 16. In the Ivy League, Yale, number 17. Sam Houston State, the biggest riser, up to 18. And then at the bottom, Stony Brook, Bowling Green, and San Francisco, numbers 23 through 25. I, I think what hurt San Francisco, they were scheduled to have a game with Arizona State and the wildfires and all that happened, so they missed that. That could have been a chance for a statement win for them to to because the West Coast does get respect absolutely because of Gonzaga and they have had multiple teams in that and the Dons are twenty one and seven if they could have beat Arizona State at Arizona State and be twenty two and seven and have that win on the resume that might uh, help them in the uh, regular case for for bubble in although they are in fourth right now with a couple of games to go against San Diego and a little Marymount which I would assume they would win both of those games and then. Who knows what the run they can do in the tournament. So not a lot of huge fallers this week, but a lot of risers in the mid-major top 25. And with these last couple of weeks in the regular season, I'm pumped. This is my favorite time for college basketball all year. Well, it's the dog days. The tournament bracketologists will start literally pumping these out about every second day. And then once we get into the tournament season, it'll be every single day updated hourly sometimes. So we'll try to keep an eye on it, and we'll see if uh, some of these guys figure out that Oklahoma's not good. That's what I'm hoping because I'm sick of this. Every major team gets in inside mentality. Needs to change. All right, we got Angry Wednesday. We yeah, we're going to do Angry Man on Wednesday. It's a full show tomorrow as well. We got Angry yeah. Man, got I believe this year player will be back. Lando's with Land. Lando's Land. So guest heavy. Catch y'all for a second. You and sure. me, and then Brittany is on Steve Point. All right. Big show. Loved it. Hoops all day, every day. That'll do it. Steve Forbes, Brittany Zell, Top 25, back tomorrow. If you're glutton for punishment, Buccaneer Sports Network. See ya.